tens of millions of people who want what you're talking about. They want to fulfill their dream, more fulfillment, more joy, better relationships, more intimacy, all these things, better businesses. And sadly, still very small percentages are getting there. But you're helping your clients get there. What's the secret sauce? Because almost all coaches say they do accountability. Yeah, yeah. And that's really what coaching is. It really is just accountability. But I'll tell you what's something really interesting, Jeff, and I was having this conversation yesterday. You know how you watch these shows, these home improvement shows, and someone will walk into a house and the house is falling apart and they'll say, oh, we knocked down this wall and we'll move the kitchen over here. Vision. I don't have that, right? I see a house is falling apart and I'm like, let me the hell out of here. Just build me a new one. I, I don't have that vision. <laughs> but when I see a person, I'm seeing, like, they're seeing this block of marble and I'm seeing this amazing masterpiece. And all we have to do is sort of chip away at whatever doesn't belong, the doubts, the limiting beliefs, the fears. Wow. And, and you expose that masterpiece. It's very easy for me to see that. I think most coaches are like that. Most good coaches are like that. And once you start unveiling that brilliance and they step into that, it becomes very powerful. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. This is episode 94. Our special guest is Berta Medina Garcia, and you are in for a treat today. The title is Creating Your Reality Board, Embracing Generosity and Accountability for Living Your Dreams. We call it a reality board because as Berta points out, so many of us create vision boards about what we envision for the future, but wouldn't it be cool if we turned all of those as quickly as possible into reality boards? These are the things that are have already happened and we've created those outcomes. She's going to talk about what gets in the way, some of our belief systems. She's going to talk about the importance of accountability, self-accountability, and often the accountability of having a support network or a coach with your accountability. She's going to talk about how vital mindset is. And here's a unique piece. She's going to talk about the way that generosity, generosity is a catalyst for change, achieving our goals, and living our dreams. This is going to be a special treat. I know you're going to love Berta, but more importantly, you're going to come away with new ways of looking at your goals and your dreams and more inspired, committed, and empowered to live them. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. I'm thrilled that we are back here today with uh, a friend of mine, but it's kind of weird these days to call Bert a friend. Berta Medina Garcia is our guest. And I, I say this because we've, before today, we've only seen each other once before and it was on a Zoom call. And it was several months ago, I got introduced to Berta. I don't remember how. And since then, it has been such a rich experience just to be connected to her. She's been so incredibly generous with introductions to other amazing people. My life is enriched because I met Berta Medina Garcia. And her clients and the world is actually enriched because of her. And you're going to find out 
all about that today in our conversation. She's got such a long history. I'll just share this with you. Bert is a keynote speaker, professionally certified coach with International Coaching Federation. Her business is called Dreamers Succeed. And this is something about planting the seeds of a dream that are in us and helping people realize them. I mean, it's all about fulfillment and really achieving our goals. And my guess is you've all heard this before and you've read books and you've been to workshops and you've done all this, but I guarantee you this is going to be unique and special because I know Berta's heart. Hmm. Even the limited amount of time we've had together, I know her heart. So prepare to open and listen with your minds, heart, souls, and spirit as we have a conversation with Berta Medina Garcia. Awesome. Hi, Jeff. Thank you. (laughs) What an introduction, man. (laughs) That's what we do here, (laughs) from the heart. So give everybody a little bit of the story, Berta. Okay, I'll I'll try to keep the nutshell short. But uh, in a nutshell, I was uh, born and raised in Miami. Uh, love every minute of living in South Florida. Uh, <laughs> grandma to a beautiful nine-year-old, uh, have two babies, 30 and 32, married 33 years. Um, one of those blah, 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 right, uh, Cuban Catholic stories. Uh, I was in title insurance for 28 years, loved every minute of it. And in 2014, I started a coaching certification program at the University of Miami. That same year, I was invited to a mission trip a not-so-average mission trip, which entailed, we were going to spend three weeks in Kenya and Tanzania wow. uh, working with Maasai children. Each of the, you know, the caveat was that we had to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in order to to raise funds for our sponsored Maasai child that would wow. ensure that, you know, he would get uh, education, medical, and nutrition until he graduated his version of high school. That was the wow. best way to really break that cycle of poverty in Kenya schools are public, but they're not free. So mm. folks living in, in poverty at that level really can't. Um, but never intending to to leave title, I spent three weeks in, in Kenya and Tanzania. And as they say about Africa, I came back and I was a completely different human being. <laughs> um, you know, postmenopausal grandma, when I went, I was 47 at the time. I uh, had never climbed a mountain in my life because I'm from Miami. We don't have mountains here. <laughs> and, um, and figured, why not start with Kili? And, and it was just that experience just changed my life. What I saw in, in the children, the, the, the abundance of beauty and, mm. and love and happiness that they have, despite the fact that by our standards, maybe they don't have as much in the way of, of material possessions. And I came back in October. I sat my husband and my children down and I said, listen, I'm retiring from title. They thought I'd fallen on the mountain and hit my head. And, <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm going to coach full time and, and I need to have the abundance and the time to be able to, to focus on, on serving these children to the best of my ability. Mm. And by December 31st, I was retired and, and done, gave my business away. Uh, I had an office in Miami, an office in Orlando, and, and God just provided and provided and provided. And I figured if I jump off and uh, trust, I can grow my wings on the way down and have never looked back. And it's been a hell of a ride. Wow. Really, really more than anything I could have ever expected. I love that you actually created a contract with your family that they had buy-in. Absolutely. Couldn't have done it without it. Well, you know, listening to you, Berta, it's funny because people regularly ask me, how did you go from being a lawyer to this? 
<laughs> I think I think it's not just a lawyer. I think it is about being a lawyer, and this is mm -hmm. so different. But you know, it seems like a natural transition for you. You're in title business for 28 years. The natural next step is to help people achieve their dreams, right? <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, I'm yeah. sure you've been planning for this your whole life. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you went on this mission trip, but tell us a little bit more about what's driving this passion you have. That was the experience, right? Right. That was the trigger it, but what drives you to help people with their dreams and life fulfillment? Yeah, I think what, what's funny, Jeff, and that's a great question, is that people had always called me a coach. They had always said, hey, coach, I need you, Yoda. Can we have lunch today? All of my <laughs> life, right? And, 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 and in that year, 2014, one of my daughter's best friends from grade school you know, had just had a bad breakup. She spent a lot of time in our home and we were just trying to, you know, help her and support her through it. And one day she, she says, you know, you should become a life coach. And I said, Oh, people call me that all the time. She goes, no, but you should really become a life coach. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes like, you can get certified and that can be your career. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And two weeks later I was enrolled in and did extensive research and, and found schools all over, found that, that the one at the university of Miami not because it was geographically, because I'll never give up an excuse to travel, but it was really one of the best programs that I, it was founded by the creator of the ICF. And I, oh, wow. I thought okay. I can do this for a living. Is this for real? Again, never thinking that I was going to leave title. And it just so happened that that year God was working on me in so many ways. And, and it really did. It really felt so natural. I think one of my, a really good friend of mine, when he found out that I had enrolled, because people were like, you have so much on your plate, you're getting your pilot's license and you know, you're planning for this mission trip and, and you're, 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 you're working like a crazy woman, 16 hours a day, you're going to add one more thing on your plate. And, and I remember my friend, Michael said, you know, this fits you like a glove. And, and I really took that to heart. And I, <clears throat> and I tell people, especially when, when they're in the coaching world, you can tell the people that coaching picked them. And I always say <laughs> coaching, yeah. coaching chose me. And, and I'm just beyond grateful that, that this is a thing, right? That we get to do. <laughs> so to clarify your business, just for a minute, because I want to get much deeper than that, but who are you typically coaching? I know you coach a lot of coaches too. Yes, I coach a lot of coaches. And when I started, because my focus is on, on adventure and accountability, and, and I always say, I, I can, you know, if I can get you to jump out of a plane with me, we can accomplish in six months what would take us three years. At a start. I'm in. Right? Yeah, there you go. And so, so it, it really came from that. And, and a lot of that came from Killy. We were on this mountain for seven days. I was already in the coaching program. So one of the climbers would say, hey, can I walk with you today? And these were, you know, 10, 12 hour hiking. <laughs> and they'd say, hey, can I walk with you today? Because I'm having this issue. And we talked through it and I realized wow. that when people have their, their adrenaline is flowing, you know, they're out in nature, mm. there's so much more openness because the vulnerability is already built in to the environment. And, and I, th so I came back from that trip and I called my mentor coach and I said, Hey, does adventure coaching exist? And she <laughs> said, what do you care? It exists now. And, um, and that's how that was born. But the focus of, on accountability, just because I'm, I'm very, my, my clients call me the accountability bitch and I, I love it. I, I don't take offense to it. I know why they do it. I always tell them I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to get you to get your shit done. And of course, hundred percent of the time we end up becoming friends and we travel together and we mission trip together. But I started working with a lot of CEOs of, and entrepreneurs 
And then that I had a lot of fellow coaches and, and speakers who would come to me and say, listen, I, I, I don't really, I can't really build the business of coaching and speaking. And then that's how that became a big part of, of the practice hmm. is it's helping coaches and speakers really build a business around the coaching and speaking. And I, and I I'm love curious, it. Berta, a lot, I think a lot of people would su- assume wrongly, mm-hmm. why does a coach need a coach? <laughs> because they're supposed to have figured everything out and they're helping <laughs> others. And it's kind of funny because I, th- I could see some people saying, well, why would I hire you if you need a coach? Right. Versus other people getting it saying, well, the fact that you have me, you have, the fact you have a coach tells me I want you as a coach. Exactly. Right. But but speak to that mindset within the people you work with. Yeah. And I and I think that's that's a really, really great point, Jeff, because I, I have always invested in myself and in my personal and professional development with coaching. Mm-hmm. Um I've I've done it and at every every year I sort of level up and, and I invest more in myself as far as coaching is concerned than most people I know. But you know what? Every we always reach that level where 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 we have arrived, right? Or some people think we have arrived. And when you get there, that you think you have arrived, that's when it's time to level up because we're, we're never going to arrive. I I plan to live to be a hundred. My hope is that I will be coaching until <laughs> until my last breath, and and I will have someone coach me because I know that that makes me a better coach. So if I don't have someone constantly stretching me and forcing me out of my comfort zone. And I and I invest in it so that I'm forcing myself out of my comfort zone. I I cannot expect to take my clients where I'm not willing to go, or so where I talking, haven't been before. So when you're talking about the coaching and when you're talking about leveling up, do you need to level up your coach when you need to go to that next level? Yes, absolutely, okay. absolutely. And and what's beautiful is and the way that we attract people, okay, that mm-hmm. that come into our world. Just like I've done with my clients and my coaches have done with me, they'll say, listen, we're good here, but here's a recommendation. And here's, here's this person is going to take you to that next level. Hmm. And, and I love when that happens. And I do it all the time as well. Listen, we're, we're good here, but I know somebody who can take you where you need to go. They might have a different expertise. They might focus on a different thing. And, yeah. and it's being able to recognize that and really being generous of spirit in yeah. wanting being committed to the growth of your clients rather than than being committed to to sort of oh I don't want to let them go and I yeah. and I think serve anyone. Oh so you 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 certainly have a niche with this adventure coaching. Hmm. But I'm gonna keep the niche over there for the moment because that's the niche and sort of the style of your delivery and the context of it. Mm-hmm. But what would you say is your secret sauce? Because you know, most people, there's so, tens of millions of people who want what you're talking about. They want to fulfill their dreams, more fulfillment, more joy, better relationships, more intimacy, all these things, better businesses. And sadly, still very small percentages are getting there. But you're helping your clients get there. What's the secret sauce? Because almost all coaches say they do accountability. Yeah, yeah. And that's really what coaching is. It really is just accountability. But I'll tell you what's something really interesting, Jeff, and I was having this conversation yesterday. You know how you watch these shows, these home improvement shows, and someone will walk into a house and the house is falling apart and they'll say, oh, we knocked down this wall and we'll move the kitchen over here. I don't have that, right? I see a house that's falling apart and I'm like, let me the hell out of here. 
just build me a new one. I, I don't have that vision. <laughs> but when I see a person, uh, mm. I'm seeing, like they're seeing this block of marble and I'm seeing this amazing masterpiece. And all we have to do is sort of chip away at whatever doesn't belong, the doubts, the limiting beliefs, the fears. Wow. And, and you expose that masterpiece. It's very easy for me to see that. I think most coaches are mm. like that. Most good coaches are like that. And once you start unveiling that brilliance and they step into that, it becomes very powerful. I think one of the one of the attributes that maybe I bring to the table is I've done extensive research on following following through. And we're great as humans, our brains are programmed, our DNA is programmed to come up with great ideas. And and you know, I call them serial passionistas. And, and I'm sure we all know them. I'm sure we all have them. We probably have a whiteboard full of all the ideas that I'm going to get to one day, we just don't have that. We're not wired to really follow through. So we have to sort mm. of trick our mind and our DNA and our brains to, to, be, to do the things that we need to do to follow through. So my thing is not, listen, we're going we're gonna to get here. We're going to come up with ideas and, and we're going to throw up ideas all over the place and we're going to see what sticks. It's not. It's, it's, we're going we're gonna to really hone in and what I do that, that I think is a, is a benefit is I sequester people. At the beginning of a coaching relationship, we go away for three days. And we're either in the Smoky Mountains or we're on a beach somewhere. And they're stuck with me. We're working <laughs> six to seven hours a day and we wow. are going to town. But, you know, it's a great catalyst when they leave there. They're really leaving with everything very, very well compartmentalized. Wow. And then it's just a matter of keeping track. But I think, I think that that ability that that the focus for coaches and this is for all coaches who who may be listening is really to get people to a place where you can find what works for them to help them continue to follow through and i'm talking about beyond the accountability i'm talking about really really follow through and there are a million mechanisms that you can use and a million ways to do it but really so that there's that stick-to-itiveness and i work with 10 clients a year i do not renew unless they're going to super level up, you know, I'll take a client. And if their goal is to make 10 million in that year, we're going to work on making that 10 million. And I don't renew. And, and I had a, a client who in November wanted to renew when they had this whole lunch and the whole team came and we had done training and it was great. And I loved working with them. And I said, guys, I, you knew at the beginning, I, I don't renew. And they said, yeah, you said you don't renew unless <laughs> we really level up. So now our goal is 50 million. And I said, okay, now we, now we can, right? <laughs> because, because they're willing to stretch and I'm willing yeah. to stretch with them. If, if they're, and, and if the big vision is not there. It's just, I'm not their coach. They have to be they It has to, it has to almost sound ridiculous to them what they want to accomplish for me to say, okay, this is going to be fun. So, so let me ask you this question, Bert. <laughs> I, I ask a lot of coaches this question because mm -hmm. I hear this from a lot of people. A lot of people I talk to, they'll say, you know, I have all these great ideas, just like you said. I just need help with accountability, follow through and all these things. So it's a lot of focus on the doing side. Mm -hmm. You've already talked about how so many people have these self-limiting beliefs, these yep. doubts, stories in their head, all that. So your work, how much of your work is about the, just the action items, follow the plan, knock these things off. And how much is about helping them unwrap and unpeel these belief systems that are impeding the action? Yeah, their identity. Yes, uh, absolutely. And I think 90% 
is mindset work. And, and I'm big mm. on focusing on the why. Everything that we do that is mechanical, that most coaches do when they're working through a process. You know, I, I have a, a book that I wrote that's called The Why is the Way. I did a workbook around it because you really need help uncovering the passion. But, you know, 80% of that book is, is the mindset and the fear mm. and really getting in there in many different ways of, 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 listen, we need to get our hands dirty. We need to get in there. We need to go do the work. The action steps you can, you can download from Google. I'm not worried about that. It's coming in from a place of curiosity, coming in from a place of really, really wanting to serve. And I think most good coaches out there have that as a default and really getting enrolled in the vision of what that client wants. I mean, I am, I'm not just a cheerleader sitting on the sidelines. I am enrolled. I see it. I know why they want it. And I can help champion them from a very different place if I know why they want to accomplish what mm. they want to accomplish than if I don't. So what have you found in, because this is not just about your clients, but people listening can say, how does this apply to my life or my dreams? What have you found have been the biggest challenges with your clients for them to get what they say they want? Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of times, Jeff, is, is that what they say they want on the surface is not really what they want, Right. So I think a lot of times it's that, and that's where that curiosity piece comes in. And I'll come in and I'll tell them, I tell them from the beginning, I am very, very transparent. There are days when you're going to think I'm an asshole and I don't have a problem with that. Because like I said, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to help you get your shit done uh, again. And I, and I say that, but you know, the, we all end up loving each other. But the truth <laughs> is that I'm not easy. I'm not easy. And I'm going to call you out on your stuff. And sometimes you're not going to want to hear it. And sometimes we'll both be sitting at a Starbucks or at my office and we're both going to be in tears. And that's okay because that's where the magic happens. Mm. You have to be willing to get vulnerable. And as coaches, you really have to come in from a place of curiosity. We don't know it all. Okay. I <laughs> pray that I will never know it all because I love to learn and, yeah. and we just can't. But we don't know it all. If we come, listen, I am committed to serving this person to the best of my ability. If, if I walk, and this is, whether it's a client or whether it's a discovery call or whether it's someone I meet at Starbucks. If I never see this person again, I want to make sure that they are leaving with something that they can implement in their lives that is going to move them. And that's always the commitment that I have. And again, that comes back, Jeff, as you mentioned, and, and Craig, that, that generosity piece, because we can't take it with us, guys. We can't. And the better we leave it, than it was when we got here, the better, you know, I have a nine-year-old granddaughter. I want to, if I can leave one little seed that's going to make this world better than it was when I got here, I will do it because she's going to be here. Yeah. And I don't care all the money. In the, my husband always says, you know, why are you making all this money and you give it all away? Because what I have you for. <laughs> You're my 401k plan. <laughs> my money is to give it away. But, um, but it, it really is just, I think the the most important thing that we can do as coaches is really be committed to service and be curious at every opportunity. Be curious. You come into every conversation, whether it's a brand new client or someone you've been working with for a year, just curious. And the more curious you are, the more you're going to peel back those layers, as you mentioned, Craig and Jeff, both of you mentioned peeling back those layers to get to get them to see that brilliance that you're able to see when you when you first meet them 
So I love the way that you you look at this. It's it's really about service. It's not about, hey, I need to make a living. And so therefore I'm going to go sell my services. It's really more about I'm I'm really passionate about serving these people, helping them achieve their life goals, because then it makes the world a better place. How does somebody find that kind of coach? What are the things that we would be looking at for that? Because, you know, on the outside, there it's a lot of people fake it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think we feel it, you know, and, and I think we, we know when we're speaking to someone, they've got to come in completely authentic. Yeah. Um, we can feel it. I mean, we, they can tell us whatever, whatever we want them to hear, but it, in our bones, we, we know w- what's coming through. And, and sometimes there's a connection. And listen, yeah. sometimes there's not a connection. And I'm very transparent. I invite people when I'm on a discovery <laughs> call, I'll invite people to coaching because I want to work with people who set my soul on fire. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I, I, I want to have fun. I, I, you know, with as much as, as I am into accountability and with as rigid as my calendars are, that people will see my calendar and they're like, I don't know how your hair doesn't explode. I'm like, I have a lot of playtime in there. I schedule in the fun. I even yeah. schedule in spontaneity, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, but if I'm not working with someone who's super excited about life and, and is super generous themselves, yeah. we're not going to be a good match. And I have a ton of brilliant coaches that I can refer them to. And I, and I love you know, my friendships that I have with coaches because of that, because yeah. I can always refer. But the energy, the energy has to be felt. And, and, and for those looking for a coach, just trust your instinct because you feel it. Don't, don't ignore yourself. I had a client who just told me that last year they, you know, invested in $40,000 and didn't, it just wasn't worth the money. Wow. And I'm thinking there was something that happened in that discovery that probably you were probably hesitant. Maybe they're great at sales and they were great at getting your credit card, but that's not what it's about. And I, and I've gotten very good in my old age at, at, just trusting my gut yeah. and we have to be doing more of that. Well, I want to go, I keep bouncing back and forth here about the coaching piece versus the client piece, but there's a word you've used a couple of times that I don't think a lot of coaches or clients think about, which is the role of generosity. Mm. And as you said, your clients need to have be willing to come to that space. So talk about generosity in this concept of, fulfilling your dreams. Yeah. And I, I think generosity is, is a great catalyst for me. I think for most people, and, and it's funny cause I do, I do vision board events, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll have 50 people come over to my house and we'll just, everybody brings a dish and we look like kindergartners with glue sticks <laughs> and magazines and little scissors and posters. And, and you know, that 10 out of 10 times, every time that I've done this, People have all these cars and all these, you know, nice houses and whatever, whatever turns them on. But at the end of everything, they will say, you know, but I really want to make money so that I can build a school in Nicaragua, where I grew up, uh, so that I can build a school in Kenya, so that I can. And nothing is going to drive you like something really mission focused is going to drive you. You know, the last one that I did here. And my husband freaks out, right? Because I've never created a vision board that I haven't been able to bring to life. <laughs> my, awesome. my latest one has 
like two homeless shelters. So they're shelters. not vision boards, they're reality boards. Pretty Reality cool. boards, exactly. <laughs> you know, a homeless shelter that I want to build in, in downtown Miami, another one in Tennessee, Starbucks with 10 shower stalls in the back so that people living in houselessness is what I call it, uh, can come in, have the dignity of a shower, some new clothes and come in and get a free cup of coffee. I want to build a school in Kenya. I want to, you know, so my husband's looking at this and, and, and he's like looking really down and people are like, hey, what's wrong, George? What's going on? He goes, man, because I just don't know how much it's going to cost me, but I think <laughs> it's not going to stop until it's done. But I'm telling you, when you when you go to that space at the very, very core of our being, we are born to give. Yes. That's it. That's why it feels so much better when you give than when you receive, because that's our core. You have to you have to sort of work on being an asshole. But at our core, we're born very generous. We're born very giving. And, and it's just natural in us. So when you're feeding that, you know, I do a lot of volunteer uh, volunteer work, especially with clients and, and those that are inspired to create nonprofits. That's, that's like, that is the biggest turn on for me. When you have, you want to build a company so that you can create a nonprofit. And we volunteer a lot. And, and even people who have never done it, maybe they're my age and they've never done it. They go to that first one and they're like, man, this is like the best thing ever, <laughs> you know? And, and I think because in our, at our core, we really are born to be generous. Yeah. So what do you think, like, I was just reading something today about, uh, what was it? Something ratitude. So radical gratitude. Yeah. And um, the whole aspect of gratitude as that, that catalyst for us to open up and, and really start seeing what we want. But it sounds like this is a step beyond that. Mm -hmm. A step beyond that. And, and it really does all, Greg, it, it, all, it all stems from gratitude. You know, how, how grateful are we being and, and what, we, what we appreciate appreciates. Yeah. And, and the, more the more gratitude we practice and the more grateful we are, the more we're able to, it just shifts the entire perspective. And, you know, you see a lot of people now walking around in this cloud of yes. sort of hopelessness and they don't know what's going on. And I'm like, guys, hope is, hope is everywhere. Yes. The, every, in every corner of every city, of every street that you look, there's hope. And there are people doing good and there are people going out of their way and there are yep. people bringing hope to dark places. You're just not going to hear about it on the news. Exactly. Turn off the news. And get, Turn it off, and talk man. To people. what I tell people. <laughs> Come on, you want to be miserable? Go watch the news all day. Exactly. But if, if you want to see how good, and, and I think Jeff, you mentioned it at the beginning, people are are good and beautiful and, and brilliant and giving, and they're out there everywhere. Yep. We're just, it just doesn't sell. It doesn't sell, so we're not going to hear about it. But they're out there. So to that point, it's, it's a little bit about that point. One thing I ask most people who do some sort of coaching or facilitation is this. And I'll tell you pretty consistently, tell me if I'm wrong, Craig, most of our guests on that topic have said the key for most people, they have to get to some level of pain that we'd love to say people are either, you know, driven by pain or inspiration, but most of the, our guests have said it's more often the pain, someone yeah. who's willing to just say I'm in pain and I don't want to be in pain anymore. And I'm curious, do you find that's a big driver for the people you work with? And if not, I'd love to hear that too. Yeah, and and I definitely I think the the pain is it gets the attention. You know how they say the squeaky the squeaky wheel gets uh -huh. the oil. 
the pain will get your attention like like inspiration won't. Mm. And 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 that's what will will bring about it with it sort of a a hey, listen, it's time to do something about it. So I, I agree. I agree. Wow. It was kind of interesting. You talked about vision boards, and I like that new phrase that we collectively create here, reality boards. <laughs> I love it. Like, and, and what, let's call it a reality board when we start it versus later. Right. I've done those, and what I found was interesting is when I've done them in groups, I feel like an oddity because it's that's not my vision boards. What's that? I said that's not uncommon. I know it's not. <laughs> I feel like I'm one of the only ones who has n no stuff on the board. Yeah. Like my boards, my, my last vision board had two things on it. Mostly experiences and people. Yeah. And, they're, and they're always on the same one. One is I'm working on both of them. One is a, a, a Civil War era revolver. I'm just oh. fascinated by that. That's my oh. thing I want. And, and my, my goal is to get myself a pair of custom cowboy boots made. Nice. But the rest, those are the only two things. Everything else is about experiences yeah. and relationships. But a lot of vision boards I see are stuff. And what I'm hearing you say, Berta, is a lot of people start with stuff, but we got to peel the layers and get under what's under the stuff, the, the, the desire for the stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, think, I think what happens is that we were raised in a, in a material world. And we yeah. think that the things that we need to decide, the desire and aspire to, I mean, I'll be honest with you, our vision board was our fridge. When my husband and I, I got married at 19 and, and we had our kids very young and he would put like a picture of a Rolex and a picture of a Harley and a picture of a Mercedes. And I would put a picture of a nice house and a nice kitchen. And because, because that's what we're used to. And as we grow, um, and I think we, we just, we, we sort of, come back to the altruism, right? Mm -hmm. uh, of what is important and what is meaningful. And as we start having those experiences, and I think you see it more or less all the time. I mean, my granddaughter is nine years old and, and yeah, she can dream like there's no tomorrow, but you know, she already, because of the tools that I have equipped my children with and that my children and my daughter's wow. equipping her with, um, you know, she has three sponsored kids. Two of them are in Kenya and one is in Cambodia. Wow. And, and her dream is to have 200 sponsored kids around the world. And, you know, she talks about, you know, but when I grow up, I want to adopt, you know, three kids um, in addition to having my own. So it's, it's just what we are, what we are empowering the people around us with mm -hmm. and just the invitation, giving them permission to, to, hey, it's OK. It's not it's not weird like the oddity, right? It's yeah. not weird to focus on experiences instead of the material that we keep hearing about that we should want. Yeah, yeah. Well, I embrace the weird. I, I, yeah. I'll oh, yeah. take it totally. as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> We've, in fact, one of our early episodes was, was with uh, Phil Gerbachek and uh, he, oh, he was called amazing. Embracing Your Weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Phil is amazing. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm still trying to catch up with Phil in that, at least in, in our colors. <laughs> In our colors, I'm getting close with my my lavender and his orange. Like yeah. the glasses, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Uh, maybe I just need glasses, even if I don't need them. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Leadership Junkies Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training 
coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartevera.com. Welcome back. So uh, the thing that just came up as you were talking, Berta, is you talked about this altruism. And are you finding that that, I think you're saying it, but are you finding that's really vital in people achieving their life fulfillment is to have that as a priority and to build that into their plans? I, let me see if I, how I can phrase this. I think that it's that what is, what is vital is the being connected with that part of us. I, I don't think it needs to be, you know, you're wearing it on your shoulder or it's, it's all, but, but I think that that willingness to be connected with that very uh, generous part of our soul is, is very important. And I think it'll, it, it just, you know, it makes you love Mondays on a whole different <laughs> level than, than if you don't have that. I think it's, it's a, it's a much bigger driving force than trying to hit your revenue goal for, for this for no other reason for this quarter. Okay. When you have that push is just very powerful. It's so interesting. So few people, if you were, if you were to go out and survey people, how, how many people would actually come back and say, Oh, I love Mondays. I can't wait for work to start. Why not folks? <laughs> These are awesome. That's right. <laughs> I mean, look what we get to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, it really is. It really, and I always tell people, listen, if, if you hate Mondays, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> That's right. Monday is, is no different than any other day of the week, except that, you know, that, that's a great tell that it's time to make a change. So, yeah. Well, I think that's a great example of something that I, I highlight a lot is we have so many cultural messages that don't mm. serve us, yes. but we don't realize them because we, most of them we think are funny. Like the last year or two, I've thought about, I mean, I'm, I'm an old guy, so I've heard this for a long time since back in the 70s, but the, the idea of thank God is Friday. Yeah. How many people say that? There was even a restaurant named after it. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> so basically what you're saying is what's going on in the week is something I want to get through and persevere through so I can actually have some fun. So my life is misery. But it's just one phrase, but I think it's more than that because we've created these cultural stories yeah. that we reinforce every day without even knowing we're doing it. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. But it, but it really is, like you said, and, and I think that's just a great indicator. Um, and I think I, I was, I had a conversation two weeks ago and, and I was in Tennessee and somebody said, oh, I didn't realize that you were on vacation. I didn't want to bother you. And I said, listen, the lines between work and play for me are so blurred that <laughs> I'm always going to be somewhere else. So I don't want you to ever feel like you can't call me because you think I'm on vacation because I live on vacation. <laughs> My, I'm, I'm home now and I'm leaving tomorrow, but I'm home now, but I'm, I'm still on vacation. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I think that that's a good indicator my life wasn't always that way, um, but but ever since I've been in business for myself, I've loved Mondays, even when I knew I had 16-hour days ahead of me in title because yeah. I was, you know, a workhorse. That's okay because I loved what I was doing. Yeah, exactly. 
love what you're doing, then you're good. So, well, so that's a great, that's a great segue to a question. What you just said was love what you're doing. And a lot of people hear that as, well, if I don't love what I do, I have to do something else. And that brings up all sorts of fear and risk and all this. And so my question is, when you're working with clients around that question of loving what they do, is it about changing what they do or is it changing how they experience what they do? Or is it a mix? Yeah, I, I think nine out of 10 times, it's a mix. I think a lot of it is, is people are so focused on the negative of whatever the situation, yeah. you know, and, and that's where gratitude, Craig, comes in. Because if you are, if you're working in a job that all you're focusing on is, is my boss doesn't appreciate me. And I know I'm not making the kind of money that I, that I should be making instead of, you know, taking a minute and jotting down five things every morning that you love about your job, you're going to show up different. Listen, this gives me the ability to afford um, my home and college for my kids. Uh, I get to work with great people. I get to fill in the blanks, you know, have five weeks of vacation and, and, and really focusing on the good things. And it's just, it it really helps to start to shift the perspective. And, and if you can't find anything that you're grateful for, for about the job that you're in, Either you're not trying hard enough or you really need to get the hell out. <laughs> it was funny. I was on my walk this morning. I was thinking, wow, I just have so much work to do today. And then I thought, well, I am so grateful that I have work to do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. So let me throw a theory out at both of you. I don't even think I've talked to Craig about this. A thought that crossed my mind this week. I, I will tell you. I have my moments of looking at the world with sadness. Mm. I do. And the thing I was talking to somebody about, which we all know, is that this country, at least the United States, is the most medicated country on the planet. Mm -hmm. Both prescription drugs, uh, other drugs, alcohol, all these things. We're a medicated culture. Uh, We have constantly growing depression rates, all this. And I started thinking about where is business's role in this? And it's not to me, it wasn't from a perspective of business is causing it, although right. I think there is some of that. But I thought, so are people really happy at work, but their lives are, they perceive their lives as miserable? Or are they happy at home, but work is miserable? And I'm thinking, why isn't business playing a role in transforming the experience of people across the world? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I guess my question to you is, in both of you, do, do we believe that businesses actually can be part of the change Absolutely. when it comes to the nature of people's life experiences? Without a doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say uh, something as simple as Chick-fil-A. You know, you have, you are training these high school students to operate a different way. Do you think that that's going to have a change when they go on to the next step. I mean, something so simple as that. So simple. And you know, it's crazy that I've been at Starbucks twice. It happened to me in Orlando and it happened to me in Tennessee. And when the barista at the window or at the register is handing me my coffee and I say, thank you. And they say my pleasure. I say, oh my goodness, it's so great to hear my pleasure. And they'll say, 
oh, I used to work at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> like that, yeah. that's big. And and listen, yeah. to take it to, a, to another level, Jeff, not only the businesses and how they're they're creating a culture of embracing, making sure that they're, and it's not just checking off the box and making sure you're you're working on the personal development. It's really creating a culture where people feel that they are embraced, where, where there's an intentionality yeah. about making them happy. And I, I think I connected you with, with Dr. Elia um, or, and Coach Khan. And yep. those are two great examples of, of the importance of bringing happiness into the workplace. But I'll take it a step further. Uh, and business's role in the world as far as their customers are concerned. You can go to a dentist's office. You can go to a doctor's office. You can go to the airport, any airport in, in this country, at least. You can go just about anywhere, okay? Best Buy, whatever. What do they have on playing on the TV? Freaking CNN. Oh, oh you're yeah. bombarded with the bullshit that's going on mm. out there in the world. You can't be sitting at an airport. You can't be sitting at a doctor's office. You can't, you know, I say if they just yeah, play I... cartoons, play cartoons, Tom yeah. and Jerry, let's, let's rogue runner it up. Okay. It's, it's funny and, if I, if I step into like uh, the oil change place, right. And I happen to be by myself and something's on TV. I turn it <laughs> off. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Or, or change the channel. Because peace. <laughs> it, it's, it's just, listen, it's constant bombardment. Yes. It's almost like they are. And I say the pharmaceuticals are responsible for that because the more you can create this sense of, and I say responsible, like you know, lobby type of responsible. If you can create a sense of fear and keep people living in that fear, yes, you're going to have people who are depressed. They don't know why uh, and it's because there's news everywhere. And yes, you're going to wow, be able to sell more medication. And yes, people are going to be more, you know, nobody wants to, you know, do drugs and, and drink alcohol. But yeah, they'll they'll do the legal way and, and, and get on Prozac and be on that forever. And and so I think that it's. And this is super sounds conspiracy theorists, right? But but I think that it, it really is a cycle of what are they trying to promote? Mm. And I think that that if 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 people just took it upon themselves, businesses whatever made it a i don't know who made it a rule that you have to play cnn anymore. and i don't care what news <laughs> it is i'm not picking on cnn oh, i'm right. just saying but that's what i see everywhere just fucking turn it off yeah. you know like come on and 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 when you're when you're in that because i avoid the news like the play right i haven't watched it since like 2008 i don't care if it's bad enough if there's a zombie apocalypse people will be at my house exactly that's for so well, many reasons but i didn't know about covid for house. a long time yeah and, and, and I'll know, and I'll know that the shit has officially hit the fan. But in the meantime, I just don't want to be bothered with that. Right. I, I want to create my own, you know, I want to go out there and experience it myself and, and volunteer and talk to people in the streets and, and see what's really going on. But I, I think that's, that's just, like I said, like me, but everywhere you go, but it's, you, it's they're constantly feeding you that. But that's the only way that you can be infectiously positive as well. You know, yeah. if you're constantly filling yourself with that crap, then there's no way that you can have a positive influence on, on those around you. I, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's much well, more I difficult know, at least. I gave up the news in 2001. Uh, wow. Approximately a week. It was, it was, it was the Monday after nine 11. Oh, wow. Wow. And I remember because during that time, you know, they had closed the stock market and it was a very specific incident. We, we all knew what would happen on Monday when they opened the stock market. We all knew. 
the market was going to go down dramatically. Yeah. We all knew that. And it did. So it was Tuesday. It was actually Tuesday after. So it was Monday's news. <clears throat> On Tuesday morning, my local paper, the headline on the front page was, and I remember these words, stock market plummets. And I read that and I said, you sons of bitches. This did exactly what we all knew was going to happen. But you had to dramatize it as a negative thing. What you could have said is, as expected, market tumbles. But no, you had to tell me how bad something is that we knew was going to happen. And I said, I'm done with you. And I, since then, I don't, I do consume, I consume my news in ways that I can filter it better. I don't watch the news. I don't go on social media to pick up what's happening. And I do miss things. And I will tell you, in the last 21 years, there's only one thing I can remember where I felt I wish I had known that sooner. And it was from a compassion place. And it was the year, not that long ago, where they had the giant tsunami. Oh, they my made gosh. the movie about it. And I didn't know about it for about four days. And when I heard about it, I felt like, hmm, I wish I would have known that sooner because I could have sent some compassion, compassionate energy. That's the only thing I remember where I went, oh my God, I wish I had known that. Uh, so I'm happy. To, and when people say, Jeff, well, you're oblivious. I said, really? <laughs> well, if I'm oblivious, then I will take oblivious. Yes, because my yes. day today was awesome and amazing and enriched with people and conversations. And the conversations were not about what was on the news. Yes, thank you. It was oh not gosh. about that. And, and I, I just know, uh, this is my last of my rant. I remember <laughs> about three years ago, sitting at a luncheon. This happened to be all men. I don't think that was the real factor, but it was all men. And there were people I'd been in a group with years earlier. And I found myself bored out of my brain. And I turned to the person next to me who seemed just as bored. And I said, I, I whispered to him, I just want to shoot myself. <laughs> and he said, I know. Because these, this group of like 12 men, all they had talked about for an hour and a half was sports at a level of detail that was, you might as well get paid to do this. And how they were talking about all these TV series. Like one person, I swear to God, they must spend 17 hours a day. And there was no conversation about our lives. They're watching somebody else's life rather than living their own. Watching someone else's. Yeah. And I like entertainment. I like movies. But that moment of, that's another one of those. Am I the weirdo here? I don't want to have anything to do with this conversation. I'm off fiction for Lynn. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I am, yeah. at least for this week. I love it. I love it. So, so I, I, I want to come back to this, um, Berta. You're walking through the world, I believe, in a very unique way. And it's a blessing to a lot of people. And yep. one thing we haven't talked a lot about, we did before we got on the air, is hmm. relationships. Hmm. Talk about your philosophy on relationships, and more importantly, how you believe that has filled your life and how that can fill our listeners' lives. I, I thank you, Jeff, and that's a great question. I think relationships are everything. I think um, not only per, in our personal lives, but in our business lives, we really are in business, in the business of creating relationships. We're not in the business of selling coaching. We're not in the business of selling consulting. We're not in the business of speaking. We really are in the business of relationships. And, and I think that one of the most genuine things that we can do is really come into business life from the perspective of I'm here genuinely trying to start a relationship 
trying to nurture that relationship, trying to see how I can serve that relationship from a place of generosity. And believe me, God takes care of the rest. It just, yep. again, you don't have to keep score. You don't have to wait for it to come. It's going to come. And as, as Bob Berg says, you know, it'll feel like it's coming out of left field and it's crap. You've been planting those seeds forever. But I, I think that it is key. And it's, and it's something that even in this day and age, a lot of people in business are still missing the point, unfortunately, mm. of yep. the importance of relationships. It is so interesting because so many people focus so much on the, the money, mm -hmm. right? I got to have the money. I, I got to do this so that I can have the money rather than realizing that right in front of them is the best gift of all, which is getting to connect with the other people. So to that point about the money, Berna, two questions came up. I'll just go with the mm -hmm. first one. I've asked a lot of folks this. There's a famous book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. Um, and then it talks about the, the person who wrote it and I'm going to forget their name right now. Uh, I'll just let it go. I don't want to figure it out. I'm trying to remember right now. I'll find it. It talks about the five regrets. Um, that almost, you know, they studied people that were in hospice and asked them that question. And one of the five is, you know, time with people they cared about. Not one of the five was about money. Yeah. And I think, and over my years, I've, you know, I've been alive a while and asking a lot of people that question, virtually, virtually everyone, there is Bronnie Ware, thank you, Craig, mm -hmm. almost everybody agrees with it, says, yep, yep, I agree, but that's not how they live their lives. <laughs> so what do you find is the, the, the gap or the obstacle between what they believe and they know that it's not about the money, yet they live their life every day about the money? I think it's it's easy to get sucked in, right? And and I think that comes back to that follow through philosophy of making sure that every day we are checking in on what is important. Um, I'm intentional about what is going to happen today from a place of how is this going to how is this going to serve the world? And and again, that takes intention because listen, we have to pay our bills. And, and we need money to sponsor kids is what I always say. That's great. But the, the money is going to come. But if, if when it's the focus, it gets really dark really fast. Yeah, agreed. So let me ask a follow-up question because it just <laughs> hit me. Do you feel like the people who, and I'm going to just say it's my judgment. Let's say I look at mm -hmm. someone, it's my judgment that they're focused on the money. Mm -hmm. Not saying it's true. That's what I believe. Do you think it's because they're actually pursuing the money as the means to get what they want or do they not actually think they're pursuing the money because that to me is a huge blind spot in change if i don't believe i'm doing something why would i try and change it i'm not doing it yeah that's interesting what were you going to say no that that was my question when you see people do they I mean, you have three groups. Let me put it in three groups of people. You have mm -hmm. people that say, I'm all about the money. I just am. Then I'm you got a bunch operated. Of, <laughs> and then, yeah. then you got a bunch of people who they're after, about the money, but they're, they'll tell themselves and they actually believe that the money is the means to what they want, but they can't have what they really want until they have the money. The mm -hmm. money is the vehicle. And then I think there's a group of people who don't really believe they're about the money but their behavior would say they are. 
So that's the group that I wonder, how are they going to change that when they're saying, well, that's not me. That's like they're looking going, well, look at those people over there. All they care about is money. Oh, shoot, I'm one of them. Well, you did miss the fourth group, which is the people who genuinely don't care about the money and probably get it anyway because they're taking care of such good care of the people. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And I think I think what what I do and and one of my this is one of my secret um, formula questions on whether to take on a client or not is is that they have to focus on an impact driven bottom line. Okay, that bottom line, I'm not saying that there's not going to be a number somewhere, but if you are focused on the impact, because without the financial ability to make an impact, you're not going to have you're not going to make the impact. So if you focus on the impact, that money is going to be there, as Craig said. It's it's just going to be there because it's par for the course. The thing is that when when the focus becomes the money itself, and there's nothing wrong with money, guys. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong. You know, we know that we need money to make the world go around. Like I said, we can do a lot of good. You can't do good and you can't be charitable and, you know, in most cases without without the financial means to do it. But when the focus is the impact, Again, that why, going back to that why, the money is always going to show up. When the focus is the money, it just, you, you lose your, you hate Mondays. Just an opinion. <laughs> but it's easier to hate Mondays when the focus is the money rather than the impact. Well, money, it, it, money is an interesting thing. And um, the organization I'm a part of, I may have mentioned you, Berta, I've been involved about 11 years. It's called the Mankind Project. We talk a lot about shadows. Mm-hmm. And just this last fall, it struck me, this whole idea of a money shadow. And this concept that we have a lot of mixed, a really odd relationship with money. And it can be very dangerous and toxic. And in this organization, a men's organization, we talk about everything except money. <laughs> so I've started to create some workshops, just discussions around that topic. And people have come to it like, you know, they're hungry for it. And they're realizing so many ways, their belief systems around money, how it's driving the choices they've made in their life without having any knowledge of it. And I'm going to continue doing this work because I'm drawn to it. I think money is this thing that is really slippery and deceptive <laughs> and manipulative inside ourselves as much as between ourselves. Now, do you, when you talk about relationships and you talk about money, when, do, you, do you blend the two of those and you talk about your relationship with money like some coaches do? Is that for me or Jeff? Both, yeah. either one. Oh. Well, for me, that is gonna be part of the conversation is what's the relationship with money? Mm-hmm. And for some people, it's easier to find than others. Yeah. For example, one person uh, I know not too long ago was they, they already know it, but they haven't made the change. They basically said, look, I know that I go spend a lot of money on very expensive things because it makes me feel better about myself. Mm. And, and I know that and I'm okay with that. Well, okay. Then you don't need a coach right now. <laughs> I mean, if you're okay with it, that's fine. But to me, there's so many re- money relationship issues, and I can, I'll just speak for myself. One re- um, uh, relationship with money I realized, or story about money, and I'm still working on it. It was seven or eight years ago I discovered this. I have a story in my head that if you have a lot of money, you can't be a good person. Hmm. Because yeah. I don't know very many people with a lot of money that are good people. 
I don't know very many people. I don't. Most of the people that I know that have a lot of money, I go, yeah, I don't want to be like you at all. Mm-hmm. You can wow. have all your stuff, but that, that, that story then can perpetuate because then I can create a full self-fulfilling prophecy that if I believe I'm a good person, then I can't coexist with money because I've got that belief system and that's some of the work I do on myself. Yeah. And that's huge, Jeff. That's huge. And I think, I think one of the things that we need to pay attention to is that, especially people my age, okay, I'm 53, growing up, uh, we, we grew up with all these movies, okay, and I can use Wonderful Life as a, as a perfect example, where the people that had the money were the evil people. Mm-hmm. And 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 the and the 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 really good hearted people were the ones that were dead broke. So so we're we're sort of raised in this philosophy, which is totally bass backwards, right? Yeah. And we know a lot of people who who do have money who are doing really great things, okay? But but that's that's the way we see it, and it's almost like oh they're rich and they you know the keeping up with the Joneses thing we fall into. But, but another important thing, and I think as a coach, something that I see, especially as I coach coaches, and we get into the whole, and I know this is a different, slightly different, but it, but it does have to do with that relationship with money, is, is on the other side. Um, how do we deal with our relationship with money, even when we're charging our clients, oh, yeah. even for our services? It's a big deal. And how do we do that? You know, I love this so much. I would do it for free. Great. People aren't going to value it. You give it away right. for free. And then you get into that whole value versus money thing. And how do we value ourselves? And how is that translating into the way that we are dealing with money in our relationships with our clients, with our vendors, yeah. with our with our coaches themselves? So I think there, there's a lot there, Jeff, but I love that you're that you're doing that with the group because I think I think that's a big one. And a lot of people, listen, I think most people that I've spoken to at least will admit that there's that there's a, a, a disparate, there's, there's a little bit of a, of a disconnect with the, the relationship that they grew up with around money hmm. and, and what it really should be. Yeah. Well, I think you're right, because I think if you ask people who are close friends, really close friends, and say, how much do you guys people talk about? Oh, we talk about everything to each other. You know, <laughs> I, I tell them about what's going on in my life, with my relationship. I tell you about the affairs I've had. Yeah. But then yeah. I say, so do you actually, each of you know how much each other makes? Ooh, yeah, I have no idea. You've never talked about money. Yeah, we don't talk, like, that's that thing. It's like, Taboo. I, I call it like this unspeakable topic. It's almost like the word, the, the name Baltimore and mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Baltimore, yeah. yeah. Ooh, right. no, we're not going to, <laughs> the he who must not be named, the topic yeah. who must not be <laughs> yes. named is money. yes. So that's yeah. probably a whole, maybe that's a whole other episode somewhere, Craig. And, the, and that's a yeah. really, a really good point. I, I, I always use it as, as, you know, women, they'll give you their social security numbers, but they won't give you their weight. Right. Mm. <laughs> they will. And, and I'm one of these people that talks about my age and my weight all the time. Right. Um, but they would rather tell you how much they weigh than how much money they make. Right. Wow. Exactly. And that's how, to your point, Jeff, that's, that's how crazy 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 they don't want to talk about what they have in savings or what they don't have they won't talk about what they're set it's like the the biggest taboo and so it seems like there's, there's this, this issue of there's there's shame if it's too little and there's shame if there's too much yes. no that's exactly right that's exactly crazy. right huh. and i did crazy. a workshop on this a long time ago it was only like a part of a workshop and the exercise was everybody was asked to take a, a, a piece of paper 
and write how much money they made on it the year before. And then to share it with everybody in the group, <laughs> like 25 people and they all did it. But I remember sitting there going, whew, like, you, like you're breathing through, like you're basically saying, stand up and take all your clothes. Giving birth here. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and what happened, what was fascinating was if you look at all the comments, because there were two questions, one question, how do you feel about that number? And one person who had the lowest number, a number that I'm like, oh my God, how are they even living? He said, I feel great about this number because I have everything I need. Wow. I don't have a lot, but I have everything I need. And the person who had the most, which I'm going to forget, the number was like 18,000 versus 650,000. Oh. And the person at 650 said, I feel nothing but shame about this number. Wow. <clears throat> like I have a lot of great stuff and I feel like I've got a pretty good life, but I don't want you all to know this because I... I don't know what you're going to think of me. And I don't know what I think about myself. Like, who am I to make this kind of money? Like, I can't give away enough to. to make me feel less bad about all this money. Yeah. And I remember saying, wow, that was that moment of, and it continued in my head, obviously, because here we are today. I'm thinking about it. So. Yeah, what a great, <laughs> and doing what a something great about it. What a great exercise. Yeah. So uh, a closing question for you, Berta, before we wrap this up, I always try and ask our guests this. We've talked about a lot of things that we, Craig and I have asked you questions, you've shared. What's that thing that we haven't asked you to share that you want to share sort of as the closing thought for the people listening? Hmm. That's really good and open-ended and you're so brave to ask that of a Cuban woman. Um, <laughs> I, I, just, I just think that we, we really have great potential, especially in these times, to show up for each other. Hmm. We have great potential to do that. And I would hate for people to miss the opportunity of, of what that feels like from the giving end. Because I always say anytime that we're, we're giving, uh, it's almost selfish for me because I feel like I'm getting so much more than, yeah. than I'm giving out. Um, we have a very unique opportunity if we haven't already taken advantage of that over 2020 to make that reset where it just becomes part of our life, to really show up, to really be there, mm. to really look someone in the eye when you're passing them in the street and, and just say hello and let them feel seen and feel heard. And it doesn't take much, guys, to start a ripple. Just, it's just the intention of making sure that you're starting a ripple. But we, we have a very unique opportunity in the world because we're sort of forced into compassion now. And we need to make that more normal. I love that. Just so simple. Help just see people, just yeah. see them, just really see them. Yeah. Uh, I love that. So thank you for that, Berta. Thanks for all you shared today. When we close, we always like to allow our guests to promote something. So what's special going on in your world you want to share with our listeners? Special going on. Uh, I think we talked about this offline before. I had a mission trip scheduled for last year, uh, which we had to cancel due to COVID. So I just uh, rescheduled that for the end of July. I'll be in Kenya. Uh, so prayers are always welcome for the kids that we're going to be serving and, and the women we're going to be serving. And anything you want to find out about my world is uh, bertamedina.com. And, um, and just be good to each other, guys. That's what we're here for. Wow. I love you, it. Bro. And I, I so appreciate Greg and Steph for this space at this this time to share with you both. Oh, so good to have you. 
So you threw out the uh, the website. Is that the best way for people to contact you and track you down? Is there? Yeah, that's the best way. I'm on LinkedIn and Jeff. That's how we met, by the way. Right. LinkedIn, the magic of LinkedIn. Um, uh-huh. As Berta Medina as well, but um, but again, it's it's just um, you can find out everything you need to know there. That's true. That was an example of for me just listening because I remember. I think I reached out to you. Yeah. And I just saw somehow I came across your profile. I read it and. I didn't read it and say, I, let me just click connect. Right. I read it and said, I need to meet her. Yeah. I don't know what it was. I said, I have to meet her. I messaged her and said, hey, can let's talk. Can we connect? Absolutely. Jeff, it's, it's obvious. Anybody that calls themselves an adventure coach, you got to meet this person. <laughs> but I don't remember that. I have no oh, okay. connection with that for me. Yeah. Adventure is yeah. the big word for me. So yeah, that, yeah, definitely yeah me too. Me it wasn't too. for me. I don't know what it was. So we always close out with a couple of questions and one for you, Berta, is what's that one book mm. for people you'd recommend? I know you read a lot. You've written books. What's that one book you'd recommend for people to have the most impact on their journey? Um, I always recommend The Go-Giver. I think, I think mm. whether it's for life or for, um, for business, we need to be operating from that place of over-delivering value making sure that we are i think the biggest lesson for me from the go-giver was was that fifth law of stratospheric success that law of receptivity which i sucked at <laughs> and now i've gotten really good at it <laughs> yeah. nice so good that's that's a, that's a big one gave me permission to to really run my business the way that i was doing it from a place of adding value and being of service where everybody thought you're so weird you're you know you can't do that you got to be more business-like and you got to make and and that book gave me permission to to do it the way I felt very natural for me. And it's interesting because we had Bob on the yeah. um, on the show earlier, and you know that key point is you know you're you're kind of idiotic if you're not pursuing it that way because that's the way you're going to get more business anyway. So why not have more fun and serve more people? <laughs> I love it absolutely. Beautiful. And the second question, our final question, is one of my favorites because I love movies. What's that movie or the scene or the character that speaks to you about leadership or impact? Oof, you know what? Uh, Secretariat mm. was a big one. And I'm, I'm a big horse fan. Uh, but Secretariat, there were two parts in that movie when, when, when she is, you know, the, you know Secret- I don't know if you remember the movie, but she's, Secretariat has something going on and it's the day before the big race for the, for the Triple Crown. And, um, and, and she just tells Secretariat, just run your race. You know, mm-hmm. and we're all here to just run our race. It's not about looking back. And then that final scene when they thought, you know, Secretariat, they had run Secretariat instead of letting, letting the horse rest. And, and they thought his heart is going to explode. But that's, that's <laughs> what he was born to do. And he's not keeping score. He's keeping track. <laughs> he's running his race. And he wow. just blew the second horse you know, out of the water. And that scene, even just talking about it, gives me goosebumps because yeah. we really need to just focus on what we're here to do. Mm. And, and so you know, let as many people follow you as will and bring as many people along uh, with you as will, but there's no competition. You're not mm. looking for competition when you're, when, you're, when you're running your race. So wow. that, that was a big one for me. Beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And, you know, we, I think we've talked about not the movie, but secretary on one other podcast so listeners mm-hmm. if you haven't the movie's a great movie it is. i encourage anybody to go watch because there's vid- you can watch movies of them they're the online actual, yeah of the actual three races in that triple crown 
you talk about goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. And just watch, just watch, and it is <laughs> incredible. It is inspirational, and you'll see what Bert is talking about. Yeah, it really is. It really is amazing. Well, thank you for being here, Berta, and most important, thank you for who you are and how you're showing up in the world and the ripples you're creating every day. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you both. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.